Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. All right, well, good morning, Three Creeks. My name is Joel, and I want to run an idea by you. Gahanna Dads Network. Feels like... Feels like that could work. We could talk about our 401ks, about whether we should mow the lawn like this or like this. Uh, it's hard to put into words what those people have come to mean to my family. Those people that you saw, uh, we didn't know them a couple years ago. And, and through planting Three Creeks, this has become our home together. And they would do anything for my family. And I would, our family would do anything for theirs. And I hope and I pray and I dream that the well would be a place where more of this kind of thing can happen, where, where people gather and they drink an obnoxious amount of coffee and they watch their kids plan bounce houses and friendships thrive and people connect. And ultimately, like Tana said, that people would be reminded over and over and over in, at the well that they matter they matter to other people and that they matter to God. And I just believe that the well could be a place where, where this kind of thing could happen. It's been already said a couple times today, but I'll just say it one more time. Uh, November 13th, two weeks from today, we're going to have Commitment Sunday. And it's going to be a really special Sunday where uh, if you're making a pledge, you're going to get a chance to actually do something physical, like with your hands. And, and we're going to work on this well together. It's going to be a special time of... Lord, this is us putting, risking it a little bit and, and just saying, Lord, we need you and we believe in this. And, and it's going to be us essentially agreeing with one another that what we do for God matters. And in the end, it's all that matters. And so I hope that uh, you'll clear your calendar and be here on the 13th for a really special day. A million dollars, if I'm being honest, sounds like a lot of money. And in a church our size, it is a lot of money. And a church our age, it is a lot of money. And I've known about this since early July. And I got to be honest, you know, there's, there's moments where I have incredible peace about it. And then there's moments I'm really nervous about it. And I'm kind of stuck in between. I think that's where God wants me to be. But last week, I just got to tell you, I'm going to share this with you and celebrate it with you. Last week on Sunday night, after we talked about the well and posted that video that you saw Somebody who used to go to our church who has since moved away, I'm not sure many, if many people in here would even know who it is, I got a text from that person that said, trust you and the family are well. We saw the video about the well and we'd like to pledge $100,000 to make it happen. Wow. Like as I was reading it, it my, my brain was trying to compute. At first I thought it said 1,000, then it said, I thought it said 10,000, then it said 100,000. I thought it was a typo. And so I texted him back and uh, he just said, to God be the glory. I know of three other families in our church. I didn't expect this from them. And they've just already volunteered to say like, we're each, each one of these three families is pledging $30,000 over the next three years. And so in my mind, we're like a fifth of the way there, and it's going to take all of us. And I hope that you will continue to keep praying that, that prayer, like, Lord, what do you want me to do? What part do you want me to play? And if we all pray that prayer, 
and we all listen to what God says and we all do what he says, then the spiritual landscape of Gehenna could change for generations to come. So I'm excited about that. Uh, you know, today's message, if I'm being honest, it relates some to the well and, and this thing we're trying to do, but, but in some ways it relates the least. Like today's message is really a message that I feel like God has put on my heart. It's straight from the scripture in this story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well, but it could be given in the middle of any series. It's something that, that I think uh, I needed to hear it. And I think you probably do too. I, I brought this up here because this is what this message is going to feel like a little bit today. Like when my son uh, gets a cut on his finger and I say, all right, let's go upstairs to the bathroom. He immediately doesn't want to do that because he knows I'm going to pull out the hydrogen peroxide. And I set him up on the sink of my bathroom and I put his hand or his foot down in the sink and I just douse it with this stuff. And he says, dad, it hurts. And I say, yes, son, but this is going to help you heal. And he says, but it stings. And I say, but son, this is going to save you from a lot of pain later on. It's going to save you from infection. And this is going to help clean it out. This is good for you. It's not bad. It's good. But it hurts and it stings. And this is essentially what Jesus does to this woman that he meets at the well. If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the verses on the screen. But I like it when you guys have it in front of you too, so you know I'm not making it up. It's 42 verses long, and so it, like I shared last week, it feels uh, inappropriate almost to try to preach through the whole story in just one week. So we're taking it just one verse at a time and breaking this story into four. If you missed last week, let me just take 90 seconds to catch you up on how this story started in the first place. Jesus and his disciples are in the southern area of the country, but they need to make it to the northern area of the country. And in verse 4 of John chapter 4, it says that they had to go through Samaria. But what we talked about last week was that they didn't technically have to go through Samaria. There, there was a highway similar to 270 that goes around Samaria. And most Jews, any, any God-fearing Jew, would take the route around Samaria because Jews and Samaritans, they do not associate. They don't speak to one another. They don't talk to one, they don't, they don't, if a Jew walks through a Samaritan land before he goes back into his own house, he takes off his shoes and spanks them together so that the dust of the Samaritan land will fall off of his shoes and not enter his house. They despise one another. And so when Jesus says, we're going this way, the disciples are confused, they're caught off guard, and Jesus says, we're not doing this because it makes us comfortable, we're doing it because we have to. And it like I mentioned a number of times last week, they didn't have to, but Jesus had to. He was compelled to on a very deep level because he had an appointment that he wasn't willing to miss. And it was this woman that he was going to meet at a well. And they show up in a village called Sychar. And the disciples go into town to get something to eat, but Jesus stays at the well. And this woman comes out in the middle of the day at noon to come and get a bucket of water. And Jesus is there and they have this conversation and Jesus asks her for a drink and she's caught off guard because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. They definitely wouldn't drink out of the cup of a Samaritan woman. This is, this is incredibly not, this is not even possible in their minds. And they go back and forth in this conversation. And then what we're going to find today 
you're going to learn a little bit more about this woman's backstory and why she would have been at the well in the middle of the day alone. It's not when women went to the well. It was a group activity that they did in the morning or at night. Why is she there in the middle of the day? Why is she there alone? We're going to find out, and, and really, you're going to see the heart of Jesus, the, the, the tender, kind, gracious heart of Jesus on full display in the life of this woman. So here's what it says. These are the last two verses we talked about last week, and it'll send us into this week's conversation. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, this, to this woman who has to walk out of town at least once, probably twice a day to get buckets of water to keep her life going, this sounds like a pretty good deal. Jesus is offering her water. You'll never thirst again. She's like, this sounds almost too good to be true. This sounds like a great deal. I imagine she felt a little bit like how I felt the other day when I was scrolling and I saw an advertisement for some of those t-shirts that make dads look better. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where they're like, do you look like this? You could look like, I'm like, I do look like that. And I could look like this. Sometimes they actually have two models. The second one is like jacked. And you're like, I do want to look like that guy. They say, it'll make your shoulders look bigger and it'll hide your abs. And so I clicked on it just to see what it was like. Seems like it's pretty good deal. And it's like, oh man, $24 for one shirt? I can't afford that. And then it was like, but for $70, you can have eight shirts. I'm like, well, I can't afford not to do that. So I bought them. And I'm trying them on, looking in the mirror, like, do I look like that guy? You know, like sucking in a little bit. And then I, I went to the Three Creeks Young Adults hangout, like two days later, trying to look cool in my new tees. And one of the young adults looked at me and said, right out of the wrapper, huh? And I was like, what are you talking about, man? He goes, I can see the creases. He said, every dad I know is buying those things right now. And I was caught red-handed, but I couldn't resist wanting to look like that second guy. I imagine when this woman is shown, there's this water that if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. She's like, sign me up. And look what she says. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. So she's in. In some sense, she accepts Jesus. So like, have her fill out a connection card. Let's get her into the system. Let's get her into a community group. Have her join a team. Jesus, now's the time for you to move on to somebody else who also needs you because she seems to have, at first glance, accepted your free offer. So move on. But Jesus is not okay with a surface level yes. Look what he says to her. Go, call your husband, and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is that you have had five husbands. 
And the man you have now isn't even your husband. What you have said is quite true. We don't know why. It doesn't say what happened to the first five husbands. Perhaps she's just a promiscuous woman who has gone from man to man to man trying to seek love or validation. Maybe that's her story. Maybe she's, maybe she's been widowed five times. That would explain why the sixth guy doesn't want to marry her, right? I mean, let's just date for a while. We don't know exactly what the story is, but regardless of how she ended up like this, she's completely rejected socially. She's at the well at noon by herself, and she's going there because nobody else wants to go with her. She's going there at that time because she doesn't want to be seen. She's on the outs. Nobody loves this woman. She's doing her own thing. And at first glance, if I'm honest, I'm reading that story going, man, Jesus kind of sounds like a jerk. He kind of sets her up a little bit. And I go, man, that's, that's pretty personal pretty quick. And it escalates very quickly. They're talking about getting a glass of water, and now we're talking about the relational chaos that is in her life. And he kind of sets her up. He says, go get your husband, knowing what she's going to say. And he goes, yeah, I knew that. You've had five, and the man you're sleeping with now isn't your husband. You have been caught like that in a lie or a half-truth where somebody set you up and your heart starts racing and your hands start getting sweaty? Here's the truth. This story was written, it happened 2,000 years ago. But we all, all of us, are living in a broken world, and none of us make it out of here mistake-free. We've all made mistakes. We've all been embarrassed. We've all experienced shame. We all, all of us, have areas of our lives that we don't want anyone to know about. Our, our, our husband, per se. We've all got one. If you don't have one right now, you've had one. If you don't have one right now, you're going to have another one. You're going to make a mistake in the broken world that we live in during this life. And, and if you're anything like me, I'm inclined to want to hide that. I, I'm inclined to want to hide the area of my life that I don't want you to know about. I wrote down a couple areas that I, that I know that people hide, that I've hidden before. Maybe you have a, a problem with pornography. Maybe you have a problem with another addiction to illegal drugs or prescription drugs or alcohol. Maybe you've been drinking more than anyone knows about. Maybe there have been some financial dealings that even as I said the word financial dealing, your heart raced just a little bit because you don't want to get caught for it. Maybe you've been cheating on your spouse physically or emotionally online.
Maybe the difference between who you are on a Friday and who you are on a Sunday morning is so different and you're just, you're embarrassed by it. Maybe you have a really unhealthy relationship with food where you overeat a lot and then you undereat. You have an unhealthy relationship with fitness or the way that you look. I mean, I'm just scratching the surface of the secrets that we keep. And then what we do, if we have an area of our lives where we don't want anyone to know about it, we get really good at playing the game where we smile on the outside and we rot on the inside. And, and the most important part of this, of understanding this, is that if we have an area of our life that nobody knows about, it becomes impossible to feel the full extent of someone's love. God's love for us or another person's love for us because deep in our minds, when someone comes up to us and says, I love you with all of my heart. I care for you like you wouldn't believe you're my favorite person. Deep on the inside, we go, if you really knew this about me, you wouldn't feel that way. If you really knew about this this part of my life that nobody knows about, you, you wouldn't feel that way. And so it actually becomes impossible for us to feel the full extent of God's love or anybody else's love for us because we've got these areas of our life that we've kept a secret, we keep them in the dark, nobody knows about them, and they just rot us from the inside out. Friends, to be 99% known is to be unknown. If you are 99% known, no one knows you. And because no one knows you, it will be impossible for you to feel the full extent of anybody else's love for you. But 99% sounds like a lot. It's, right? I mean, it sounds legit to be 99% known. That's probably more than most people. So that sounds pretty good. And even with 99%, you can almost fake vulnerability. Have you ever done this? Or you ever experienced somebody else doing this? Or you're in a community group or a discipleship group, or you're, maybe you're having a conversation with somebody who actually cares about your soul. And you just kind of dance around this one area of your life that you don't want to talk about. Oh, I'm just struggling. I've got this problem with lust in my heart. I'm just struggling with pride and selfishness. And we're, just, we're like just honest enough that it makes us feel righteous and vulnerable. And, and, and really in hindsight, like why would we do that to ourselves? Why would we do that to ourselves? When we're 99% known, what we're actually doing is we are damming up the streams of living water that Jesus is talking about, this grace and this love and this eternal life that just wants to wash over us at all times. We're damming that up and saying, I don't know if I want all of that. Not over this part of my life. Because look what the woman said. She said, this is interesting. She said, I have no husband. And that is true, but it's not the whole truth. 
So she's gotten pretty good at this dance too. It's an answer that she thinks will get her out of the conversation. Have you ever done that before? Where somebody asks you a pointed question and you just think, how can I get out of this without revealing the whole truth? But Jesus, in his rich and deep, everlasting love for her, he, press, he presses in to the most tender, sensitive, embarrassing, shameful part of her life. And, and in her mind, she's going, this hurts. And Jesus is going, but it heals. And in her mind, she's going, but this stings. And he's going, but this saves you. This saves you from so much pain, so much more pain later on. Jesus goes straight. He goes straight to the 1% that she doesn't want anyone to know about. And then look what she does. She does what I do. Even in moments when I'm being pressed and I feel like I'm supposed to be honest and I feel like I'm supposed to come clean, she she does what I do. She tries to change the subject. Look what she says. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship in Jerusalem, it must worship is in Jerusalem. So she actually... Jesus jukes Jesus. She brings up a theological question to try to get Jesus' attention off of her relational chaos. And Jesus says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when we will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus gives her, in my opinion, a relatively hard to understand answer to her theological question. And it's almost like she doesn't even want to try to understand what Jesus said, because she asked him a question, and he gave her the answer, and, and this is her answer to that answer. She says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. So once again, she does what I do. She just tries to kick the conversation down the road a little bit. Listen, we'll talk about all this stuff, but let's just talk about it at a later time. I'm not sure if I really want to get into all of this today, so can we just postpone a little bit? Can I wrap my mind around how I want to word some of this? She says, let's move on. Can we talk about something else? And Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. In other words, no, this is the moment. This is the moment that I have come to meet you. This is, I actually am the person that you, woman, have been waiting for. And Jesus says to her, basically, I know 100% of your story. Even though you think I don't know, I know everything. And later in this story, you're going to find that this woman is going to go back into Sychar and tell all of her friends, this man has come and he has told me everything that I have done. 
Jesus knows 100% about her, but Jesus loves her 100%. And you see, like, it's until he presses in a little bit, it's when he presses in a little bit that she actually can begin to feel the full love that Jesus is offering this woman. Because it, it the, when the conversation starts and he's saying, hey, I can give you some eternal life. I can give you some water. She's like, I'll take that. But in her mind, she's got to be thinking, but he doesn't even know who I am. He probably wouldn't even be giving this to me if he knew my story. And he says, I already know your story. And I am the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm the Redeemer. And I've come. And this is the appointment that I had. I came for you today. And so if you are anything like me, and if you are anything like this woman, if you have made a mistake like she did, if you have a secret like she did, if you have ever thought to yourself, if they really knew that part of my life, they wouldn't love me like they say they do, like she did. If you tell half-truths like she did, if you want to change the topic of conversation like she did, if you want to postpone this conversation for another time later like she did, in the same way that Jesus came and met this woman on that day, that was the appointment. Jesus came to make sure that she understood that he knows everything about her and he loves her 100%. There were no more questions for her. She didn't have to think, well, he doesn't know this about me. He knows everything. In the same way, I just want to tell you that if you're inclined to want to punt this down the road and deal with it later, that Jesus is trying to get your attention right now through this story. That today is the day. And you shouldn't postpone this because you're damming up this well of eternal life, this spring, this well of living water, you're damming it up from entering into your life and pouring over you and so that you could actually feel the full love of God on your life. One of my, one of my favorite things to do, one of my favorite things to do as a dad is to put my kids to bed. I love it. I just think it's hilarious how they try to play games with me, and sometimes they win. Morgan will vouch for me on that. But uh, I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. Willow's my two-year-old, and right now when I put her to bed, it's a quick diaper change, pajamas, and then she wants to read just one book. And it's the same book every time Levi and Mariah gave it to us a couple years ago. It's the one Ba Oink Moo, and she loves it. She would just reread it over and over and over. And she always, she's got this one line that she pulls out when it's over. She says, one more? And I say, no, 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 we're done. Then we put Willow to bed, and I say, I love you. And I kiss my hand, and I put it on her forehead, and I say, I love you, and I'll see you tomorrow. And that's how I put Willow to bed. Judah, I put him to bed. Every time I go in there, I lay down next to him, and he says, Dad, can we watch hunting on your phone with the AirPods? And I say, no, son. And he says, when can we do that? And I said, after Halloween. And so you can imagine the excitement he has for Tuesday morning. We're going to watch hunting on the iPhone with the AirPods. But (laughs) my son Judah, as soon as I'm kind of trying to ask him some questions, hey, how's your day, buddy? He just looks at me and says, dad, every night, dad, can you leave now? And I... (laughs) 
<laughs> he does. And I, I always do this thing where I'm like, no, Judah, I want to stay. And he's like, dad, I'll see you in the morning. And I say, all right, buddy, good night. And I shut the door. And then I go into Cooper's room, total opposite of Judah. She would talk to me forever. She just, I can just see her brain just spinning. She just wants to come up with another topic to talk about. And she'll ask me about my day and tell me about her friends and just ask question after question. Right now she wants to be a nature scientist when she grows up. So it's just endless questions about nature and science. And uh, a couple months ago, it's actually on her birthday. Morgan and I were in there. uh, I wasn't in, I was with Judah and Morgan was in there. And it was on her birthday. She was turning six. And Morgan, uh, she was just speaking life into Cooper. Cooper, I love you. Cooper, we're so proud of you. We can't believe that you're six. And all of a sudden, she heard a little crinkle. And Morgan said, what was that? And Cooper said, nothing. She was caught. And Morgan said, no, no, what was that? And she reached her hand underneath the pillow, and immediately Cooper just like starts sobbing, breaking down, and she pulls out a whole pile of candy wrappers. And I'm, I'm like, Cooper's not usually wailing before bed. This is unusual. So I kind of come in, and what's going on? And Morgan just shows me the wad, and we just said, Coops, when did you get all this? She says, I, I stayed up after you guys, and I went and snuck into the pantry, and I get it every night. And we said, have you done this like once? She says, no, lots of times. She had a couple extra pieces stashed for that night. And, uh, you know, we, we dealt with it. We gave her the consequences that matched the crime. I think if I remember right, I think she, we told her no dessert for a week or something. That's a pretty big deal in our family. Like Cooper loves dessert. So we said no dessert for a week, and that was... Uh, that was enough, but, but I just laid in bed with her, and she kind of calmed down, and I just was like, Coops, you just got to know, girl, that I love you like crazy. I'm disappointed in the decisions that you made, but I just love you like you wouldn't believe. I'm so proud of you, and I forgive you. I said, Coops, We don't fight the devil in the dark. We fight him in the light. We don't go to his turf. We expose, we we, we confess. If we make a mistake, we tell people about it. And I thought about this as I was reading this story and and it, it crossed my mind. I wonder, I wonder if when we were in there, before we had found out about it, and we were like, Cooper, we're so proud of you and we love you. We can't believe you're turning six. Like we can't even put into words how much we love you as our daughter. It crossed my mind. I wonder if she thought for a second, but if they knew what I was hiding under my pillow, I wonder if they would feel this way. And I still do feel that way, but I wonder if she knew that. Like, I wonder because she had a 1% that she wasn't known about, I wonder if she felt like maybe we didn't love her as much as she, We do. 
And it made, me, it made me think about us and it made me think, holy smokes, like God is crazy about us. But when we hide things and try to tuck things away and not expose ourselves, there's this thought that creeps into our mind. But if, but if people knew and if God knew, would he really love us that much? I don't know. We don't fight the devil in the dark. We do it in the light. keep secrets, it blocks us from experiencing. It dams up the love that people have for us and the love that God has for us. And we, in the Bible, in the Bible, not just in this story, but over and over and over, Jesus is on a mission to tell everybody. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you grew up, what you did in college, what you used to be like. It just doesn't matter that Jesus knows everything and he loves you all the way. And we fall in this trap this, this trap, I just talked to so many people, Christians, non-Christians, where we go, man, I'm just going to get my act together, and then I'm really going to get serious about my faith. It's not the gospel, it's not in the Bible, and that's no one's testimony. It's while we are at our worst that Christ came and died for us. It's when the secrets come out that the full expression of God's love can wash over our lives, but if we hide little parts of our lives, we're limiting the amount of love that we can feel from God. And if you're sitting there and you're going, you don't know me, you don't know what I've done, you know where I've been, you're right, I don't have to, but God does. He knows everything. He knew everything about this woman. He knows everything about you. In an honest conversation between you and God, or you and another person that loves you, maybe your community group leader, or with me, or with somebody that you know closely that cares about your soul. Listen, I can't make you do anything. You can just walk out of here today, get in your car and say, forget that noise. I can't make you do anything. I'm just telling you that this thing heals and this thing saves. And when the secrets come out, man, when the secrets come out, the full expression of God's love can wash over your life. That's what Jesus did for this woman. And in weeks three and four, you're going to find out how life-changing it really is. Let me pray for you. God, I just ask for the person in the room who's got a 1%, an area of their life that they are ashamed of, embarrassed about, desperate to hide. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give them the courage to tell somebody about it. so that they might feel even more love than they feel right now. God, you know everything about us 100%. And yet you love us 100%. And that is crazy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.